Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we are your co-hosts. So today, I'm going to be covering Blue Borage and giving a PSA on why you probably shouldn't associate fluoride with Nazis. Oh my gosh, that's that's so fun. And you're not giving too much away, but this... The, I, I like Riz reading that on the bus and I'm giggling. Um, yeah, it's a lot. There's a, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> um, so I, and I'm going to be talking about inspiration magic as well as the mythical source of all inspiration, the loveliest ladies, or maybe not so lovely as you'd think, uh, the Greek muses. Uh, yes, I'm really excited about this because I think uh, the muses are a lot more interesting than Hercules would lead you to believe. They, they really are. Um, <laughs> did you did you actually did you get a chance to see the story that I put in uh, at the end of that? I didn't know. OK, so this well, will be exciting this, for me this, too. This will be a fun surprise. But first, diving right into the magic of inspiration. We're going to be talking a bit about the third eye and then I thought it might be kind of fun to open it with an anecdote about my third eye. So um, the story goes that it was the 4th of July in 2019, and our plans for the day included pool time, cool time, and some magic mushrooms uh, with the pool time, cool time. Uh, so while we're like set, you know, on the come up of that, um, which, I, you know, I didn't really take so much, but it's, it's part of the story. Uh, it just is. It's important. <laughs> it's important. But a wasp stung me right on my third eye, which uh, is between and like a little above your eyebrows for those like not in the know. Um, and let me just like tell you guys that uh, I was literally having a blast and uh, very, very hyper. And I do swear that I was high on wasp venom. But also, I did draw some very cool, like, Technicolor cats that day that I still have in my little drawing journal. And uh, also got inspired to ask my friend I was chilling with on a date. So uh, lots, lots of inspiration in that story. Uh, but, you know, that was actually a pretty short-lived situation, though I will admit. Uh, so maybe not so inspired. Uh, but no, I do think the wasp sting on my third eye, like, really gave me some juju that day like i don't want to be so like non non-specific or like non-technical but it's like really i mean i was tripping on mushrooms as well so <laughs> um yeah i mean it's like how technical can you possibly get i feel like this is a very exciting and interesting story though relating to the third eye no, so no, no. I, and it was like really right on my third eye and it's yeah. like literally i was like giddy the whole time <laughs> you done got fucked up on wasp venom my friend yeah, really, though, and I was like, is this, like, Botox? Because I always, like, do angry eyebrows, and I do it a lot, and it's, like, like literally, you could, like, feel the muscles from my, like, angry brows, like, loosening up a bit there, too, so it's, like... <laughs> well, the wasp venom just helped you chill the fuck out, which just I'm the fuck sure out, yeah. helped get you all inspired. Uh, but, you know, don't, don't die trying to find out what that's like. I just thought it was a fun story, uh... Yeah, so, this is not like a, a wreck from not, not, not a wreck. Bronze. <laughs> Although someone should look into that. Like, can you get high on waspidum? I mean. I mean, well, we know that Nick can, but I can mean, everyone else? That's but the can, question. Can anyone else? Uh, but no, in all seriousness, y'all, uh, inspiration magic is going to be something that I think anyone can benefit from. 
even people who are maybe not, you know, so creatively inclined. But I mean, I think anyone listening to this podcast, I, I, I say that though, but it's like anyone listening to this podcast is uh, probably into witchcraft on some level. And like so much of the craft is literally like crafting. Um, (laughs) it's true we're crafty bitches man crafty witch bitches crafty witch bitches are all over i mean it's like the fact that so much of like internet magic is on pinterest should tell you everything you need to know about who is doing witchcraft in 2021 yeah But no, so there's spells that involve drawing, poppet making, like altar decorating, and like so much else that we, you know, we're doing is involving creativity on some level. So, you know, it's good to get your juices flowing is kind of the idea here, right? Yeah. Um, but I would also just say that like the regular creation of art or music or photography or, you know, whatever you're doing creatively like knitting crocheting like is really magical on its own because it's like you're making something from nothing basically Mm. which is just like a huge transformation of like energy um and then like you know you're kind of tapping into these kinds of energies like you know like different muses and things and it's like there's literally i mean you know and it's like you're really like putting your heart and soul into these things like Mm. even if how could you not be right so it's like that's just like so magical on its own um but i mean you can also like literally paint or write or play an instrument with intentions you know if you are a witch and you know you kind of like weave your own spells into your creations like while you're just doing your your normal you know normal songwriting or you know you could be like Fleetwood Mac and you could like make your music like really witchy anyway so (laughs) why um, not both why not both right uh no but I I also think it almost doesn't need to be said but the witch community is full of artists and creative types because that is just like yeah that's our vibe uh Mm. so I'm sharing what I feel is a great spell for inspiration and it's from None other than the classic Llewellyn Spelladay Almanac, which almost always has something good for any occasion if you look into their backlogs. Uh, oh my god. And Llewellyn is amazing. I get the uh, Llewellyn wall calendar, and I've gotten it for the past few years. And can I just say, A++, do recommend. It's so much fun. And it always has new stuff for each month. It's like, Llewellyn just has it going on. For the like regular ass witch stuff that you it's nice to have all the like fun specific fancy shit but like when you want to get back to basics Llewellyn is there no and it's like literally so I kind of think of Llewellyn as like you know it's like the better homes and gardens cookbook of witchcraft yeah where it's like totally if you if you were to just buy the new ones you would end up with like a really great book of shadows yeah all on its own you know so but it's like so this one i really i'm just like reading it from their website uh well with a bit of copy and paste magic and so the writer had said that when they're feeling a bit gray that they cast this spell to fill themselves with inspiration and a sense of purpose and so in a fire safe dish 
We're using fire, y'all. Y'all know this is me. I had to find one that. Wait, uh, what? <laughs> Nick found a spell that needed fire. <laughs> News at eleven. <laughs> News at eleven. <laughs> um, okay, so in a fire-safe dish, you're forming a square of salt in the center, and then you're taking four yellow candles and dressing them with lemon essential oil. Also, a spell with a citrusy scent element. Right. I'm like, I, Nick, are you the person that wrote this entry? I, you know, I'll never tell. But no, really, I was like, this could not, this could not be more, more me. The um, biggest Nick energy here. Yeah, really though. I feel like this is a very. I, I would not be surprised if whoever wrote this uh, was like a fire sign or like just liked working with fire. Uh, totally. Uh, but no, so you're putting your candles, put you know, doing the thing where you. Stick them with a little wax, put them in the corners of the square. You light the candles and say, This box I'm in is not for me. This spell I cast to set me free. What evades shall come to light. I break the bounds with all my might. And then, with your index finger, you break the four lines of the square and say, Inspiration from on high, the gift of Damon from the sky. Muses, spirits, be here now, a fertile mind for you to plow. And then you let the candles burn out. That's why we're using a fire-safe dish, people. Uh, and dispose, safely dispose of the remnants. Uh, and I particularly like this one because I think it really leans into, like, the citrus theme. Because if I'm being honest with y'all, uh, citrusy smells always help me personally with, like, brain-foggy, lethargic energy. Which is, like, the antithesis of, like, creative energy, right? So it's, like, yeah, you need to have a clear mind to create things. Uh, so I, f- I feel, like, really sweet or, like, really woody scents kind of fog up your mind and make you kind of sleepy, you know? Yeah, that's for, like, if you want to astral project and not be in this realm, uh-huh. then sure. But if you want to, like, really be in this realm... That's not going to do the trick for most people, I would say. Right, right, right. But I also really liked the imagery of, like, breaking out of the box, you know, because it's all about creativity here. We're, like, you know, kind of uh, getting a little inspiration, so to speak, Uh, which, you know, you need a little inspiration to break outside the box, right? Yeah. So we're literally breaking the lines of the box to get out of there. Uh, But, no, you know, I've seen variations on this kind of spell while researching this episode but i think yeah the simplicity and elegance here yeah llewellyn i'm i'm on their website a lot (laughs) Uh, yeah and seriously uh, like go find the wall calendar when 2022 comes up because it's it's super precious and i don't know i don't know about y'all i like having a wall calendar near my front door because i never fucking remember the date right (laughs) <laughs> and I don't have it displayed on my phone like some kind of weirdo. I like to see my background. Thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but no, so, but for inspiration magic, I also saw recipes for spell jars using soil to stimulate a fertile imagination. Oh my God. Okay. Can we talk about how cute it would be to do a little like terrarium plant as a, like as an inspiration spell? 
and because could, that would be perfect in a little jar, like with mm-hmm. a little fern or something. And maybe you could put like a rock with like a rune or a sigil in there. Yes. Oh my God. Everybody should do this and then put a heart leaf fern in there because they're really hard to keep alive outside of terrariums. And then it'll be precious. So, uh, okay. So I love that. But I, but yeah, like the symbolism of like putting soil in a spell jar for like a fertile imagination. Yeah. I uh, love that. I was also saying if you're like the type to grow plants from seed, like manifesting your seeds to be the seeds of ideas while you're planting, I feel like makes kind of an intuitive sense. Yeah. And kind of like, you know, hits the mark for, I mean, because we're also, we're also a podcast about plants. So people out there are plant people. Probably. I uh, think so. I feel like y'all are planty witches. I don't know. I, I but I, I get to read the uh, the questions and stuff we get on Instagram. So actually, I know y'all are planty planty witches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I also really like the idea of like charging your art supplies under like the full or the new moon, like the same way you would your crystals or your altar tools or you know like your your knives and shit that you oh are going to be using. Love that. Um, that is like a hot tip it's like really though you know it's like if you're doing it with your altar tools as a witch you could do that with your like musical I mean I also I you know it's like I don't want to be the guy that's like you know put your guitar out in the yard and then it gets rained on but you you know be smart people (laughs) well yeah I mean come on come Uh, on (laughs) uh but okay, but before I'm moving on to possible like herbal helpers here, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about like timing with inspiration magic. So like that spell that we talked about earlier, um, but they often need time to like charge or start working. So it's like not something you should do if you're like trying to be creative tonight, you know, it's like really not 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 at all the vibe because like inspiration does take time you know it's like it will come in the right moment like that's literally like the rule of inspiration you know a lot of them take time to charge or start working so not for a project you're doing tomorrow but it's important to note here that while we are getting our creative juices flowing and like getting those good ideas like creating is work more uh, often than not yep. Uh, so combining spells for like inspiration with spells for concentration or just like energy boosting is going to be like a good add on to this kind of work. Because it's like you can get the inspiration and then like still not have like the energy or concentration to like sit down and do a drawing, you know. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a very good point, because I also think that for a lot of us that have day jobs, It can be very exhausting to try and, like, do anything once you're done doing the stuff that pays the bills. So I love the idea of doing, like, combo spell work with something to, like, give you that boost of energy. Because I know personally sometimes it's, like, you know, 6 o'clock rolls around when I get off work and the last thing I want to do is any more fucking work. Even if it's work that I love. And that's the thing, you know, and it's like you don't want to get cracked out on coffee either. Yeah, no, no. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, lean, lean into that, the witchy shit, like, do some magic about it, you know, it's like, you can, but okay, so, but there's also like, just for creative types, there's like the shower principle, which basically says that like, inspiration strikes when your mind is allowed to wander, such as in the shower, 
I get great ideas in the shower, so I can attest to that. Um, but, you know, it's like, and it's not just like projects or things that I have to do, like just original ideas in the shower, like just for random shit. Um, so, you know, it's there. That's real. But so with that in mind, I did want to talk about the third eye. Uh, the third eye is the chakra located right between and slightly above the line of your eyebrows. Um, so you don't have to be like a yogi or a Reiki practitioner or an acupuncturist to like understand that there's like energetic points in your body. You know, it's like you can really feel like your core like that. And that's a chakra. Like, you know, when you're like doing deep breathing or like exercising where you like have to hold your core it's like you could just feel that and it's like you can feel you definitely feel your third eye chakra so you know it's like it doesn't have to be like part of your religious practice to like believe in chakras specifically but i think we can all kind of understand that there are like energetic points in the body that you can definitely feel and are like linked to the rest of the rest of your body <laughs> you know it's like yeah and I think for some people even if it's not something that you're you know super familiar with or if you're just getting started in this kind of work even just like having a place in your body to concentrate on mm -hmm. connected to like some sort of energy or emotion that can also be really helpful if you're like doing meditations or stuff so even if you're not like to the point of being able to really identify those different like energy channels don't feel like you can't just start by like focusing on the area of the body because sometimes mm -hmm. that's you know sometimes that's the best way to start and then the rest will follow right and you know but I, I was just saying you know like you don't have to like be a yogi or a, or a reiki instructor to like think about chakras you know it's no, just no. a name that has been given to these like energetic points um <clears throat> but the third eye chakra specifically because we're talking about inspiration we have to talk about the third eye and it's like your spiritual eye or like your dream eye. Um, and actually, I was reading kind of into like the science of what they think is behind like the third eye chakra phenomenon. Yeah, it's the pineal it gland, pineal right? Pineal gland, which is yeah. like right behind there, mm -hmm. um, which has a lot to do with like cognitive function, by the way, just yeah. as like the piece of your brain. Um, but also like the structure of it supposedly kind of looks like an eyeball. Like an in like an like an incomplete eyeball. Yeah, I could so, see that. I could see that. And that was like, I don't know. So they were really like, it really is your third eye. But um, <laughs> that that's just like kind of referring to like the shape of it. Um, but it's like your spiritual eye, and it's like where you supposedly where you would view your dreams. Like that's what you're looking through when you're dreaming. You're seeing the dream through your third eye because it's like your mind's eye, right? Um. But it has to do with, like, how you, like, see truth in the world. And, like, having a misaligned third eye can lead to, like, egotism, like, delusional thinking, as well as, like, paranoia. Um, and having, like, a well-aligned third eye can lead to, like, mental clarity and, like, allow you to do these, like, cre creative things. Like, you know, like, more mental clarity is, like, and that, like, you know, kind of, like, a grounding that allows you to like do these other things. So um, for creative types, we're often interpreting the truth of the world into like symbols and like trying to make meaningful connections through like disparate things in our art. 
So it would follow that the third eye is like heavily associated with inspiration and catharsis. Uh, so circling back around to the shower principle. Yeah, y'all were wondering that you can you can say it. You were wondering where I was going with this. Uh, lavender essential oil is one of the herbal treatments people will often use to cleanse and open their third eye. So mm. I was saying you could certainly use a perfume roller and like apply it directly to your third eye before taking a shower. Hello. Uh, yes. Double double down on it, you know. Uh, but you could also do the same thing before bed because the third eye has those strong ties to dreaming as well. And I think anyone who's into creative shit knows that sometimes you get good ideas from your dreams. I feel bad for people who don't remember their dreams. Um, so maybe something like like that to work on. Because I there's always just so much weird stuff going on. And it's like, some of that would be great for art. But I'm, I'm rabbit trailing. Um, <laughs> but speaking of dreaming, one of the powerful uses of mugwort that we actually didn't go over in our recent episode all about sleep has to do with the ability to help you remember dreams. So if you're doing a sleep sachet, mugwort would be a worthwhile addition for this very reason. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to stop that throwback now uh, and go move on to cannabis. So cannabis is something a lot of people are going to associate with getting their creative juices flowing. A lot of artists smoke weed. I personally feel like it withdrawing and stuff, especially it kind of dis detracts from the process for me to just be like actually high. Um, but CBD specifically, though, has a very strong effect on the area of the brain containing the pineal, the pineal gland, which for all of you out there who are not doctors is, again, located conveniently right behind your third eye chakra um <clears throat> yeah because most of the cbd receptors are in that area so another healing herb that is a crossover hit between traditional herbalists and western doctors is ginkgo biloba so medically speaking it's supposed to help keep your brain sharp and in good working order but is also known as like a medicine for the third eye because you know it's got these like legitimate medical uses especially for older people um and it's so it's super widely available though because old people take ginkgo to keep their brain healthy or i mean i remember that was a thing in the 2000s i don't know if they're still like on it on it but you can get ginkgo in the vitamin section at heb so i mean um, i just found it at there they had it at the bulk herb store i was at today so somebody's still on it <laughs> somebody's still on it uh, but you could say the exact same thing about ginseng because, you know, it's like these herbs help with mental clarity and that's kind of the third eye's whole deal. So, you know, it's no brainers like ginkgo and ginseng, you know, like your, you know, your, your aging people, mental clarity herbs are like, it, yeah, it's a no brainer for like third eye stuff as well. So. But I will probably say this one million more times over the course of this podcast, but lemon balm is right there as well, people. Uh, the Love fresh citrusy. Her. <laughs> it's like the fresh citrusy scent is known for its ability to clear out brain fog and bring like that bright, abundant energy. 
this would also be a good one for your perfume roller. You know, if you have a little essential oil. But and I also have to talk about peppermint oil for the same thing uh, with the perfume roller on your third eye. It's like, though, sadly, I can't do this because peppermint gives me a headache. So, you know, having a headache really wouldn't help me uh, if I had a, a clear mind. Uh, no. And it's such a bummer because I do love peppermint, but I get it. It would just like, you know, it's like I can like drink peppermint in a tea. Yeah. I just can't like the, the concentrated smell. Yeah. It's just. It's too much. Uh, but, I, but I think the idea here, though, kind of overall with these herbs, is that, like, a clear mind is open to those, like, sudden flashes of inspiration. So kind of doing your work with that in mind with herbs and things uh, is going to be, you know, just go a long way. Yeah. And I, I think this is also a great time to plug getting, like, a meditation and journaling practice in because, you know, it's, oh, it's really... Sure important to have a clear mind and you know uh for me personally like journaling is really helpful for that because I get a lot of mental chatter and mm-hmm. when I'm journaling I'm able to get some shit like out of there and on the paper so it doesn't keep like bouncing around in there um so you know I think I love all of your herb suggestions and yeah those are just two more that I'd throw in you know getting into yeah, yeah. some well, sort of meditation the third, eye, the third eye is really like yeah for for meditators, it's like one of the main things they're gonna focus on when they you yeah. like start meditation is like opening up your third eye while you meditate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I actually it's funny. I was gonna like I was going to talk about meditation, but then I went on a sidetrack while I was writing, and then. <laughs> uh, but it's funny, no, because I actually I have tr- I have a lot of trouble meditating, and I think anyone out there with like. ADD or like ADHD like all the, all those ADD kids from the 90s like no it's like when I meditate I do usually use white noise yeah and I think for like chakra work in particular there's some really great guided meditations too mm-hmm. and you know this is a situation where I think guided meditations can be really helpful Um, Yeah, especially if it's something that you're, like, just learning about for the first time, like, and you don't know any yogis. I mean, because yogis would, if you have yogi friends, you know, it's like, they would be the people to ask about it, and they'll probably help you a lot. Like, (laughs) yeah, they're good people. They're good people. You know, it's like, they're sometimes a bit obnoxious, because it's like, they're almost like the jocks. In, like, the, the spiritual communities is always, like, the yoga people. <laughs> oh, my God. You're so right, though. That's funny. Because it's, like, they're, like, they're, like, pretty and popular. But they, like, <laughs> but they, but they know their shit. Especially when it that's comes true. to chakras and, like, meditating. Like, that's their, that's their thing. So, speak to a yogi about your third eye. And it will help you with your creativity. A++ recommendation. <laughs> Uh, But that brings us on, speaking of inspiration, we really could not do an episode about inspiration without talking about the mythical source of all inspiration, the Greek muses. Uh, And so before I dive into the history of these nine lovely ladies, uh, I have a few things to say personally. Um, The muses are each powerful goddesses in their own right. And, like, you know, should be treated as such with the appropriate amount of respect. 
Uh, so they're not like a kind of nymph or, you know, they're not like a whole separate thing like the fates, you know, like they aren't even like demigods, right? Like full on Olympian goddesses uh, with like the status and stature that that implies. There's nine of them and they're like in charge of a bunch of different things. But, you know, it's like they're definitely very high in the Greek pantheon as far as like status, you know? Yeah. I feel like, you know, they kind of get relegated to like, you know, like the openings of poems and things like that being like what the muses were culturally. But it's like that as far as like the mythology of it goes, they're like high up there with like Zeus and shit, you know. So, uh, hmm. but who are they? So uh, I was going to ask everyone here to pretend that we have like a budget and I'm like doing this to the tune of Cell Block Tango from Chicago. Uh, but they are Calliope, Cleo, Euterpe, Thalia, Melpamine, Terpsichore, Erito, Polyhymnia, and Urania. He had it coming. <laughs> no, I'm just, just And now I'm like, I'm going to start snapping in the background. I know, right. Uh, but no, <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention their most popular appearance in relatively recent culture as the chorus of narrators in Disney Her- Disney's Hercules, which kind of is like a throwback to, they were, I mean, they would always like call upon the muses in the beginnings of epic poems, uh, you know, as like, lip service to them as goddesses basically um but i i would say those are relatively well done and keep some of the flavor from the actual paintings and mosaics and you know you they you kind of get the symbol of each one they don't like kind of fade it into the background and just make them like an amorphous just chorus of muses you know like each one represents their different thing but the ones in that movie are calliope melpamine terpsichore Thalia and Cleo. So, don't get the other nine, but there is a uh, concept art for them. But no, the real muses weren't a chorus of narrators for the other gods' stories. They were powerful goddesses in their own right. Uh, they were all goddesses, uh, they were all daughters of Zeus and the Titan goddess of memory, Nemocene. Uh, and this, I think, has two very powerful symbolic meanings about like inspiration and art uh which is the first being that good art is like one part divine inspiration which is zeus and like one part memory which is nemesine uh which is to say that like truly great and inspired things come from true experiences and that like art imitates life you know like every song has a story and all of that um but it also creates another connection between art and memories, which I think is also a good point uh, because art can make us forget about ourselves and our own problems, even if only for a moment. And that's like one of the truly great gifts of the arts for the people. And that's like the, the muses represented a lot of this for the Greek people. Um, And so, you know, having them have like the divine and like, the goddess of memories be combined uh that's like very symbolic of those like strong connections between like art and like memory because uh, a lot of the art at the time was also like depictions of history uh so they each had their area of expertise uh so calliope was the muse of epic poetry 
and also kind of like a baddie and the leader. And we're going to talk about her like way more in depth later on. Uh, but so Cleo was the muse of history and like also an important one who is going to come up. Uh, uh, Uterp was the muse of flutes and music, which I, I thought it was funny that they were separate. Yeah, I'm like, I like that they were very specific about flutes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> flutes and music, which would include, by definition, flute music. <laughs> um, yeah, but apparently the flutes are a real big deal here. Flutes are a big deal here. Um, <laughs> and so Talia was the muse of comedy and pastoral poetry. Um, you know, Beautiful. kind of like like romantic uh romantic descriptions of like the land and the people um which kind of served as like historical like references as well because i mean some of that that has been preserved is like kind of like your little you know a day in the life uh so <laughs> and then you've got melpamine who was the muse of tragedy so my she's, girl she's a sad bitch <laughs> Um, she's the goth of the club right she's the goth she's the goth of the club uh terpsichore was the muse of dancing so you know like i don't know the the ballerina muse right yeah i i i like she could be ballerina muse or she could be like break dancing muse depending on the day i I like that break i mean you know it's all dancing exactly muse um I just like the idea of someone like breakdancing in a Greek robe. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's that that's great. Doing a little head spin. Right. Uh, so erato, which kind of sounds like erotic, and that's Doesn't not it? <laughs> that I don't think that's uh not on purpose. Uh was the muse of love poetry and lyric poetry. So just, you know, pretty pretty things about love and flowers and and everything about flowers is about fucking in antiquity. So, uh, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then polyhymnia was the muse of sacred poetry. So hymns, if you will, which is how her name is spelled. Uh, it, not that you're reading it. You're listening to a podcast. So that's why. I'm looking at it, though. You're looking at it. <laughs> uh, but it's right there in the name. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you've got Urania, who is the muse of astronomy. And Woo. doesn't that sound an awful lot like Uranus, which is a planet now. So, <laughs> you know, they're really, really original, really original names. Uh, so for so one strange thing for me, though, uh, and I think anyone in modern times kind of wrapping their head around like what the muses are, uh, is like they're so they're involved in all of this creative stuff, poetry and music and dancing. And it's like, why are there muses for astronomy and history? Uh, and I think I kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. And it's like, back in the day, history was presented as like plays and like epic poems. So you couldn't just be some like stuffy historian in like a back room of a library, like writing theses and dissertations and like, presenting it to other academics to agree with or disagree with uh no it's like it you know it had to be for the people people most people were illiterate uh so they would like present it as epic poetry or even like 
a, like a series of speeches, you know, and like coming out and like telling this history uh, orally, sometimes in verse, sometimes through plays. But um, and so while that might seem strange to us that like there's, you know, they they thought of history and astronomy as creative pursuits, because, yes, while it's like you were doing research for these things, you eventually had to present them somehow. Uh, and that, you know, they would do this themselves. You know, it's not like Christopher Nolan is going to make a movie about it with, you know, a million explosions and or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like it, too, because it um reminds me of basically my entire liberal arts undergrad experience is kind of summed up by the muses. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Having a liberal arts degree is uh basically just like playing with the muses for four years. It's a fun thing. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, they had to, but they had to make it relatable, you know, so they had to like, they had to perform it. They had to be, they had to be a song and dance man and get people to learn history. So they, they needed muses. <laughs> um, so, but even more serious topics, there was like an element. So I was saying, yeah, with like even serious things that people wanted to talk about, there's like an element of like performance artists, uh, which, you know. We've we've totally lost touch with that because it's like, imagine if you were learning history as like an epic poem instead of like a history book. Yeah, I think the best like modern example, though, is things like children's entertainment, right? Like, yes. I feel like they're so good at it. Like, yo, Gabba Gabba, you're going to learn some shit. You're, you're also going to le- hear from Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, that. But yes, exactly. It's like kids television like wishbone literally kind of sticking like doing all those classics but like basically sticking to the story except for having a dog as the main character like which was everything let's be honest which was so good so yeah i mean even today i think you know the muses are at work with history and uh and science even i Uh, just wish they'd remember that grown-ups like it better that way too (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, you know, they try to do it with stuff like Cosmos, but it was like, it was, the second Cosmos was kind of cringe, and it's like, the OG Cosmos was great. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you don't need to redo something, just make a new cool thing. Make a new cool thing, yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, muses, get to work, (laughs) but no. Um, Obviously, that's what we were getting at. (laughs) Right, so, uh, but no, so we wanted to talk about some stories about the muses you know when we we do these like deity profiles a lot of time we we just have like one person to talk about uh and there's nine muses so i'm not gonna like be on here for two hours telling like all of the stories about all nine of the muses uh calliope and cleo are the ones that kind of stick out to me but calliope mainly because she's like the one in charge right so when you read about the the collective muses, the only one who ever does anything is like Calliope, you know, like she's the one that like steps out and like, you know, does some talking in and of herself. Right. Um, so <clears throat> Calliope, widely believed to have been the muse that inspired Homer to write the Iliad and the Odyssey uh, that got the credit back then, at least. Uh but still widely read today, much to the dismay of middle school literature students everywhere. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it's like, that's a powerful piece of work to have inspired. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. 
But also, I mean, again, I'm just going to say, for the Odyssey, there is an audiobook of Dan Stevens <clears throat> reading it. So yeah. get on that, y'all. Get, get You know, if you don't have that kind of time, listen to it in the car after you yeah. listen to Mons and Franz. Yeah, we definitely don't have Odyssey amount of material for y'all every week. So, no. you know, and I won't be personally offended if you'd rather listen to Dan Stevens once in a while. As as beautiful as my voice is, uh, <laughs> although I do have to say this is just like totally sidetracking, but I always think it's funny listening to the R's that British people put on the end of things. And so when he's talking about Athena in Odyssey, he says Athena. So many times, and it makes me laugh. And I had a really great friend um, at the last museum I worked at who was British, and he hadn't noticed that he put R's on the end of things until I pointed it out, and then I ruined his week because he couldn't stop hearing it. It was, like, just one of those linguistic tics that, like, he hadn't noticed. And, uh, yeah, so if you haven't noticed all of the random R's dropped on the end of words that, you know, have vowels at the end uh, when Brits are talking... Have fun with that one. It's a it's a fun thing to start noticing. <laughs> you know, you I, I watch a lot of British television and I I always it's like that's the one that my ear sticks on as well. Yeah, something about it. It just like jumped out to me. But um Athena just made me Athener. laugh for, for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um but okay, so we're talking about Calliper. <laughs> uh, no, uh so she had this great myth about her and uh Pyrrhus the king of Thessaly, um, which I think is near Thrace, but all of these countries don't exist anymore. So basically roundabouts over there, roundabouts over there, maybe France ish. Cause I'm always like, can you just like draw the actual map over it? So I know what kind Um, of where it's at. No, (laughs) that would be far too convenient for you, Nicholas. And instead we want to just give you the most difficult deity profile to do. And then also no assistance. Okay. No, no, no. It's like, (laughs) thanks so much. Thanks Google. Uh, But no, so she has this great myth about her and Pyrrhus. So basically Pyrrhus has nine daughters who were named after the nine muses. And I thought, very convenient to have exactly nine daughters after deciding that that was going to be your naming theme. I mean, when you know, you know, right? <laughs> you know, I guess, <laughs> I guess you do. I don't know. I don't uh, want to have any children, let alone nine. But, uh, right. you know, you do you, ancient person. Or maybe, you know, like that's when they knew to stop was when they hit nine daughters. Because he was like, oh, we're going to start with Calliope, Cleo, you know, move our way through. When we get to the last one, that's when we're done. Yeah, uh, it's like, we'll call it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, But so in a Zeus-like overreaction to his lack of humility, he also thought his daughters were the equal of the muses. Uh, uh, yeah, the gods don't really like it when you think you're as good as them. Right. It's like no <laughs> one said better. No one said better. They said as good as, right? And that's still too much. Too much. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, I'm sure they were lovely singers, but I, that's not, that's a bit not humble uh, yeah. to be thrown out at goddesses. So uh, <laughs> she, of course, challenges them, Calliope does, to a singing competition. That's right, so, bitches. So you have to lip sync for your life. <laughs> uh, don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Uh, so after besting them, she decides on the appropriate punishment, which is to turn all nine daughters into magpies. Oh, that seems so fair. They, 
you know, they're just ugly old birds now. Um, and so not only could she just not skip to the punishment without also having to do like American Idol, uh, Olympian Idol, if you will. Um, she's also like basically punishing the daughters for what was seemingly the lack of humility on their father's part. Okay, but, like, couldn't the daughters have, like, practiced a little bit more? We've all seen Pitch Perfect. It kind of sounds like this is on the daughters, if I'm going to be honest. I think, you know, if you're going to, like, throw a diss like that, you have to be ready for something. Yeah, right? You got to, like, don't go letting your mouth write checks that your ass can't cash. Don't do it. But also, you know, it's like the dad was the one that gave named them, right? You know, it's like... I'm sure he was involved in throwing the diss as well. Oh, totally. But, inst- but instead of punishing him, all nine daughters, though, birds. And I yeah. was just thinking that that's <laughs> such like a dickish, kind of like a Zeus move. Oh, and, yeah. And so you can really see the like Zeus influence in the muses. It's like they are yeah. vengeful. Yeah. And I think it's like as much as uh, as much as I'm giving the daughter shit, it is really just fun to hypothetically victim blame a bunch of ancient uh, <laughs> fake people. So please no one come for me. This is a joke. <laughs> this, is, this is a joke. We're not victim blamers. Um, but no. So and then like as the leader of the muses, I feel like Calliope is like baby Zeus, you know, like she's the one that's oh, like that. Totes. She's the HBIC. She's the head bitch in charge. Um, but, you know, it's like the muses kind of how they worked is like, you know, like they would give you like the lover that inspired your poetry or like the beautiful spring day that you wrote a beautiful song about. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's like they could, they would take things away from you if you weren't humble, you know. So it's like there well, is a muse, there is a muse of fame, or like one of the muses was like very heavily associated with fame. It's like Cleo, the muse of history, right? And it's like if you can go down in history, like you're famous. But she could also like take it away if you were like not humble. If you forgot that you're still Jenny from the block. Right, right. <laughs> um, so they, but they, le- but a lot of these muse stories are very like vengeful, and it's like they would take these things away. Um, so, but like, so yeah, Calliope is like baby Zeus, right? She also showed her vengeful side in another singing contest involving Tamaris, the lover of her very own nephew, Hyacinth. Can, can I just stop you two to say that I love Hyacinth as a boy's name? I do too. Because it's become such a girl's name in modern uh times. But Hyacinth is a boy's name. Like, Hyacinth sounds like a fucking hottie. Truly. And, like, Hyacinth uh, is supposedly the first gay man. Like, such hottie energy. Yeah. Uh, So he was the son of the muse Cleo, like the muse of history and fame, right? And the mortal king, somewhere in Thrace. (laughs) Uh, You know, over there. Yeah, so uh, Hyacinth was a demigod. And yeah, the nephew of Calliope. Um, Also a raging homosexual. Also being courted by Apollo. The Apollo, you know, not the fake one. Uh, Like, wow. So also in some of the legends, though, I think incorrectly, by the way, but they, they credit Apollo as like the leader of the muses. And it's like, no, it was Calliope. It like... No, 
No, no, no, no, no. Like, it's like yeah. she, do- she does all the work to be in charge of the muses. Yeah. Like, no, don't let some dude come in here and usurp that. Like, no. But can you imagine in modern times, you're on like Grinder and you match with Apollo? Yeah. Because it makes me think of like that story Ben Affleck was on this, like, there's like this dating app that a bunch of celebrities use and somebody like matched with him, but then unmatched. And he like messaged her and was like, what happened? It's me. It's really me, Ben Affleck. And I just imagine that would be Apollo all the time. Like, <laughs> Wait, no, man, it's, it's me. me. No, it's really, I'm Apollo. It's me. Right. Um, and he's just trying to hook up with all the hot dudes of, you know, Mount Olympus and the realms beyond. Well, and who among us isn't right um (laughs) but no so hyacinth is dating apollo and tamaris who is a mortal just a regular dude but supposedly with a beautiful singing voice and stunning good looks uh but also uh credited in greek mythology as the first gay man in history or the first man to love another man uh i would say that's also incorrect i'm sure there were gay people before then uh yeah pretty sure that's gonna be a no for me dog but you do you tamaris we're still proud of you yeah yeah yeah. i don't think tamaris was the first gay dude ever but what do i know uh so but apollo is a bit jealous of tamaris and tells the muses of his brag that he could best them in a singing contest or that he his singing was the equal of the muses uh so calliope of course is like all right it's time to throw down uh, even though you're dating my nephew, or maybe especially because you're dating my nephew, uh, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Um, <laughs> step up, right? Right. And then so, Pitch Perfect Four was born. And then Pitch Perfect <laughs> Four was born. Uh, but she unsurprisingly wins by a long shot what? because that's that's what I mean. You're fucking with the muses. I'm shocked, truly. But this time, instead of a bird, she kind of, like, really thinks about it, right? I, You know, I think the bird thing was just improv. But she really <laughs> thinks about this one. Uh, so she decides to make him blind and lose his voice forever. So, okay. Like, so, like, blind that he can't see his, like, beautiful demigod boyfriend ever again. And voiceless so that he could never again slander the good, the good name of the muses. Uh... So, of course, like, this is a very important lesson for any artist to not only be grateful for the inspiration you're given, but also to curb your own hubris and show a little humility when you are thusly blessed. We all need to listen to Jenny from the block. Used to have a little, now she has a lot. But no matter where she goes, she knows where she came from. She knows where she came from. (laughs) So, you know, keep that important lesson in mind. Right. And again, you know, what the muses are giving you is like, again, you know, beautiful demigod lover. They yeah. take taking these things away from you. Oof. Uh, so Rude. Finishing up here with a fun follow-up on the story with Hyacinth and Apollo. Uh, for everyone who was curious, I, I certainly was. So Apollo ends up accidentally killing Hyacinth with a discus after all of this is over so it's not like they live happily ever after either yeah i mean i think that if we learn anything from greek mythology it's that uh it's not gonna work out for you and that god or goddess you're fucking (laughs) uh Um, sorry they're still immortal you fucking human (laughs) right 
So, but the idea here, like, I think bringing it into the realm of our, like, personal practices, just sort of briefly here at the end, uh, is that the muses are literally there to give you inspiration and, like, aid in the creation of great art. And, like, it's obvious from the mythology that these were, like, very powerful beings right up there in the hierarchy on Mount Olympus. Okay, so if you're into, like, Hellenic witchcraft at all. Um, but, yeah. Poets, playwrights, and painters, and like all sorts of creative types would literally go to temples and make offerings and like ask for divine assistance and inspiration, not even just solely for making like religious art, you know? So it's like you don't have to be making religious art to ask the muses for inspiration. Uh, It could be for any of your like more mundane creative practices. Um, But I thought it was interesting that a lot of the temples for the muses were near springs because the strong like the symbolism of inspiration like springing out of nothing Mm. and like that being like the gift of the muses you know so it's like you go to the spring you like drink water out of the spring it's like you get the inspiration but i would say in honor of like that symbolism and like that tradition I would like encourage people if you know of a spring or like a spring like creek, I'm sure would be fine. Uh, <laughs> we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Uh, you know, it's like if you, if you can't if you can't find your own artisanal spring. Uh, Store bought is fine. Is fine. <laughs> but I would encourage the creative types out there to go out to your spring or your creek. Uh, you know, maybe burn some inspiration fueling incense nearby next time you've got writer's block it could help i mean i know where the spring is so i'm kind of i'm all over this dude i think for so many reasons that can help getting out in nature getting Mm -hmm. around water burning incense plus the muses it's like you're just you're putting everything in your corner and i think that's the way to go right oh so but no the muses there's so many like bitchy stories about like calliope bitch slapping people it's like i think I, I honestly think that would be like a good tv show um yeah i'd watch it like a show about the muses where calliope is just like constantly bitch slapping people it's like the real housewives but can we can we cast fran drescher as calliope <laughs> yes oh we have to do it like now though yeah yeah right. no i mean time's ticking so call my agent <laughs> i will i'll have my people call your people um <laughs> So if we're talking about inspiration, which we are, one of the first herbs that really came to mind for me was um, borage or starflower or blue borage. You'll hear it called a few different things, but not only is this guy beautiful, like seriously, the flowers are gorgeous, but it also helps make you bold, which is exactly what you need to follow through on whatever it is that you're hoping to achieve. So you've done all of this work to get this amazing, potentially divine inspiration But then how are you going to move forward? Well, that's where the work comes in. And that's where something like borage, I think, is really good for the follow through. So all parts of the plant, you know, excluding the root on this plant are edible and have medicinal properties. Uh, Our friend borage is an annual herb in the flowering plant family, um, Boraginaceae. It's native to the Mediterranean region, but it has naturalized in many parts of the world, partially because it's super not fussy. Like, this is a plant that could pop up in a literal garbage heap and just be, like, happy and beautiful hanging out in a pile of muck. So, you know, my kind of lady. 
Uh, it's very easy. It's a fast growing annual and it has these beautiful, like vivid blue flowers and the flavor and the smell of the flowers is kind of reminiscent of cucumber. So it's, oh, it's super refreshing. Lovely. It is. Yeah. My, my borage is about to bloom and I'm so excited. So it, it is considered an herb, but I have to say borage is also an excellent companion plant for your vegetable garden. Um, it attracts a lot of pollinators, so it can increase the yield on things like strawberries and squash. And it's also helpful for tomatoes since it can help deter tomato hornworms. So just a little added bonus there. Uh, and Nick, I do have to say this is like a cottagecore rock star with its like very dainty, pretty, tiny blue flowers. Um, and I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but blue is actually the rarest flower color. Only about 10% of flowering plants, like in the entire world will produce like naturally blue flowers. So I, you know, I didn't know that, but now that you mention it, like now that you mention it, I'm like, yellow's everywhere. Like blue is everywhere. Of course we are from Texas where they have the blue bonnet. So I guess that also kind of adds to like, oh, that's not rare at all. But exactly. But if you think about (laughs) All of the flowers you can imagine. Um, blue is in very few of them naturally. That is, yeah. Yeah. So this plant will get around two feet tall total. And um, I will admit it's a little gangly, but the flowers are so pretty that you're not going to care that it's like a little tall and lanky. It does have greenish grayish stems that are fuzzy when immature, but they do get a bit pokey once the plant matures. So be careful. I've definitely had like some jabs from the spiky fuzz on these guys when I'm like working in my herb garden. So, you know, maybe put on some gloves or just, you know, be careful. I feel like those of us that do a lot of outdoor gardening, you get a lot less precious after a while. Um, (laughs) They do well in just about any soil. You're just going to want to make sure it has decent drainage and, and don't get too fussy over it. So this is one you'll want to plant in early spring, and then you'll expect to see your flowers by like June or July. You can go from either seed or from start. I've done both, and they're equally rewarding, but you will get your flowers sooner if you go from start. And that's really what most people are after with this one. Um, But it actually only takes about eight weeks from when the seeds like first sprout, when you see like the first cotyledon appear, to when they're mature. So it's not a super long wait either way. And I, I have heard that in some places finding starts of borage can be difficult. So if you can't find start, I promise like the seeds are on this one are pretty fast. Like you're not going to have to wait too long either way. You're not, you're not like wait, waiting like a whole season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then once the flowers open is kind of cool because they hang pointing downward, which gives me like big falling star vibes, which I'm like all here for. They're so pretty. Um, They do love full sun, but they'll do just fine in partial shade. So really anyone can grow these outdoors. It's not picky, again, about the soil, but if your soil is particularly bad at retaining moisture, you would be better off if you just like mix in a little compost a few inches down. And honestly, like that's just a good rule of thumb if you have shit soil anyway. And like, no shame. Lots of us have naturally bad soil in the yard. It's it's easy to fix. The, The soil in my complex is like, literally just fucking clay like it just it's awful it turns to cement so you know yikes get to know your soil big big yikes (laughs) and then get to know the amendments you'll need um it's not a super heavy feeder if it's in good soil but you can give it some fertilizer if you want to give it a boost but this is a point when i would just advise that you like 
stick with organic fertilizers if you're planning to eat it. You know, it's like your body is precious and I don't normally advocate for being a snob, but like you do deserve better than sketchy, like mass produced fertilizer in your homegrown foods. So like worm castings or fish emulsion are very affordable. Um, Espoma Organics makes really great lines of fertilizer that also have like beneficial bacteria in them. Um, I just like, as much as I want everybody to have everything super accessible, I do think this is, if you're going to eat something, just like put put a little of the extra money in because it's worth it because you're going to eat it. So anyway, that's my little PSA. Just like big mass produced fertilizers that you can find in big box stores are not good to eat. <laughs> um, well, you don't think like, miracle Grow isn't good for your body? Yeah, you shouldn't be just like eating miracle Grow, y'all. Um, so once the flower is in bloom, though, you're going to want to deadhead this, which is great because the harvested flowers are super beautiful and tasty. And if you do that, it's going to keep blooming like all season long. If you're a container gardener, you can definitely grow borage in a pot. You just want to make sure that it's at least 12 inches deep because it does have kind of a kind of an intense taproot. Um, and the flowers are totally edible as is like you can even snack on them in the garden if you're a weirdo like I am. Um, you know, a lot of people that do herbalism work will suggest like not heavily washing herbs and stuff once you've picked them anyway. So uh, I would definitely suggest like spraying some stuff down with water, maybe early in the day if you're planning to pick in the afternoon. That way you can kind of give everything a good rinse. And then by the time things like warm up, but before you've gone fully into the evening, like maybe around like four um, that's a good time to then go out and like pick everything. And then it's been rinsed. And if you're growing it at home, you know what you've been using on it. Um, but that way you're not like bruising things that can be a little tender, like flowers <laughs> when you're bringing them inside. Um, the tender young stalks are also edible and they can pre uh, be prepared like celery. But once they mature, you've got these like spiky fuzzies to contend with on the leaves and stalks. So, you know, once they get a little bit bigger, you're not really going to want to be dealing with trying to eat the stems and stalks for the most part. You can use them in teas, but um, if you want to eat the actual stalk, they do need to be the young ones. Um, and the flowers do produce a ton of black seeds. So if you're growing them in your yard, you're likely going to have it take over at least a small corner. Um, so just, you know, just don't worry about reseeding next season if you have them and they're not in a container. Uh, it is pretty temperature tolerant, but they won't tolerate a hard freeze. So if you are somewhere where that happens, just plan on like replanting next season uh, if the seeds that they throw don't take. But again, like they're so fast growing that even if you have to like scatter your own seeds again next spring, you're not going to have to wait for very long. Um, and the flowers are, again, the flowers are beautiful and edible. Um, these are something that would be really great in like ice cubes for any of your summery drinks, lemonades, alcoholic beverages. Oh, that would be beautiful in a, um, like a little, as an ice cube in a lemonade. Yeah. They'd also be really pretty on like a cake. Like if you wanted to do a summer cake for a party or something, mm -hmm. you can use these as edible decorations. They're just, they're super pretty. And Unlike some edible flowers, they do taste good. You know, you don't always get that. Some edible flowers just like have kind of a neutral flavor, which is fine. Um, but borage is cool because it it tastes good. Like it's like little cucumbers. Um, yeah, it's like, uh, what is it? The sugared violets that you get on like cakes sometimes. Like those are. Yeah. Fine. 
Yeah, exactly. They they are sugared because they don't have much of their own taste. Um, <laughs> hilariously enough, sugared violets are one of the recipes in the digestive uh, the digestive section of the herbalism course I'm in right now. So, um, oh. right. But let's talk about the medicinal with borage, y'all. So, um, if you're talking about like herb actions, it's a cooling cleansing and refreshing herb with adaptogenic, demulcent, diuretic, expectorant, and anti-inflammatory properties. So the disclaimer, (laughs) we're not doctors. Um, I am officially in an herbalist training program that I'm very excited about, but I want to be very clear with y'all that herbalists are also not doctors. Um, There's no licensing board in the United States, so anyone can basically call themselves an herbalist. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, so be careful out there. Um, Herbalists should be able to make recommendations for you, but they aren't able to prescribe. And trained herbalists do have a lot of knowledge about interactions. But again, I just mostly I just want you all to be informed when working with like practitioners in alternative medicine circles, Um, you know, really get to know where someone was, uh, you know, where they got their training from, if they've done any sort of apprenticeship programs. Uh, there's some really great online schools and stuff, but um, yeah, because there's no, because it's an unregulated industry, just proceed with caution. Um, for instance. <laughs> for instance, right? Uh, it's not recommended that borage leaves be taken long-term internally, though, because of the concentration of um, pyrolizidine. Oh my God, this is, this is a hard one. It's pyrolizidine, pyrolizidine alkaloids it's they just call them pas uh because that's a hard word um and so some people will recommend limiting use to like four to six weeks others say two to three months at a time um but most sources that you're going to read are going to specify like low doses and limited use and again that's the leaves um and young leaves have been shown to contain less pas than older ones but don't take borage if you're taking anticoagulants without discussing it with your doctor first. And some people will experience like nausea, cramping, bloating, and headache when they, you know, ingest borage leaves. Um, they're relatively mild, but again, these are all things to just like be aware of if you're starting to use herbs medicinally. Maybe make your own materia medica and like keep track of things and how your body responds to them. I mean, it's basically like a grimoire for herbal medicine. Um, so Pliny the Elder, one of the OGs that you'll hear referenced a lot regarding anything like historical medical practice related, uh, believed borage to be an antidepressant and it's long been used to give courage and comfort to the heart. Uh, and my favorite old wives tale about it says that if a woman slipped a bit of borage into a promising man's drink, it would give him the courage to propose. So, you know, ladies, if, uh, or gentlemen, if you're out there and you're trying to get a ring put on it, you know, maybe put some of those, uh, borage ice cubes in their beverage next time oh you uh, have them over. <laughs> it's like, it's like, a um, borage roofie. <laughs> right. Um, it's like, yeah, but that's the opposite of a roofie because you're like yeah. giving them courage, not, uh. Not taking away their uh, functions. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I know it's like slipping it into his drink when he's You're not slipping looking. him a Mickey, but it's like <laughs> borage, a borage Mickey. Um, in European traditional medicine, uh, the heart was believed to store the vital spirit and circulate it around the body via the arteries. And because of that, if you're looking at like traditional European medicine, heart medicines were usually also like medicines for the spirit. So things like... Con- Uh, confusion, depression, 
uh, anxiety, things of that sort. So lemon balm, lily of the valley, motherwort, and borage were all commonly used for like matters of the heart. And I'm just, I'm specifying this because when we're saying matters of the heart in this sense, it's about like your emotions, not about your actual heart, the organ. Um, And these remedies were also used to protect the heart from excess heat and high fevers, which is kind of a weird thing that actually is about the physical organ of the heart. Um, But, you know, it, it's, it's old, old European traditional medicine is kind of funky once you start digging in too much. Uh, but motherwort and borage are actually a super useful combination in thyrotoxicosis, which is a modern version of like excess heat attacks of the heart. So it's also like good for the organ of the heart, but they primarily used it in traditional European medicine for like emotional medication. Um, the leaves though, when used in moderation, are great for balancing the adrenals to help you recover from periods of like stress, which I know most of us can use from time to time. Um, And if you're recovering from illness or surgery, like this could also be a really cool herbal ally because it can help speed up your body's natural healing processes. Uh, The tea also promotes sweating. So it can help relieve fevers. Like if you've been sick and you're ready to really get the fever moving, like you're like, this is day three of this fever. I can't anymore. You know, a tea of borage leaves can help like get the sweating going and break the fever. Uh, Allegedly, it will also cure a hangover. Um, So someone that drinks will have to try this and report back because I I don't drink currently. You know, I was Um, also thinking like as weird as it is to say, I'm planning on having a fever. (laughs) Uh, or I'm at least planning to have a fever when I get my second dose of the vaccine. So, Oh yeah, that's a good call. Maybe, maybe I'll get some because I do occasionally get a bad hangover too. So two, you know, two birds, one stone. Yeah. And I do want to say, because this is a disclaimer I have to use all the time. I'm not, not drinking because I'm pregnant. That's not happening. Just (laughs) before anyone asks, I am not with child, nor do I plan to be anytime soon. If Oh my God. That just makes me think of that, that Ellen interview. Oh, oh my God. God. Who was that with? Where she like, um, it's Mariah Carey. And yeah. she's like, oh, so so there's a lot of rumors that you're pregnant. So to prove that you're not pregnant, have a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like dick move. Dick move. Right? Um, but one of my favorite personal uses of borage is um, there's this really like soothing mucilage in it that makes it like a really beneficial treatment for dry cough, you know, throat irritation, chest colds, bronchitis. I'm an asthmatic who lives in LA. So I think this is a really great way to use the flowers too, because they, the flowers have the mucilage in them. Um, When you're thinking about things with mucilage, it's like if you've ever had a slippery elm bark tea, that kind of like slimy feeling that you get in your throat when you drink it is this because the mucilage doesn't break down in water. So it helps like coat your throat and stuff. It feels really nice. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's what's in throat coat tea. It is. Yeah. Throat coat tea has slippery elm bark in it. Um, Yeah. Which I just bought a shit ton of today. Uh, (laughs) uh, Borage tea is also like a really good remedy though for like digestive disturbances, things like gastritis or IBS. So it is a good friend to Virgos everywhere. Um, And a poultice of crushed borage leaves can help relieve insect bites and stings, reduce swelling and bruising. Um, And it's also helpful for clearing up like boils and rashes. So just make sure you're careful with the fuzz spikes, though, because some people are more sensitive to these than others. But if you're getting the uh, borage leaves when they're younger, it's more fuzz than spike. So, you know, just 
keep an eye on it. Um, and to make an infusion of it, you just basically pour one cup of boiling water over a quarter of a cup of bruised fresh leaves. You're going to steep it for five minutes and then you're going to strain it. And this infusion can also be used as like a gargle for sore throats. Um, and it's recommended as an eye rinse. Uh, so if you have like a lot of eye fatigue from like being on a computer all day, you know, there are some herbal eye rinses you can use that help relieve that. But if you're going to be doing this with borage, please just strain it like a million and a half times before putting it in your eyeballs because of those little spikes. Like, don't do this and then sue me. Be smart. Take care of yourself. Um, <laughs> so if you're going to make a poultice for something like a rash or, you know, a sting, um, you're going to chop fresh borage leaves and stems um, just enough to, like, cover the area that you're treating. And then once you put the poultice on there, you're going to cover it with, like, a strip of cotton gauze to hold it in place. And the poultice is super soothing and healing to skin inflammations. But again, if you're someone that's really sensitive to those prickly hairs, like, it could be irritating to you. So just this is one of the reasons that I think if you want to use herbs in this way, keeping like a Materia Medica or a journal about your personal reactions to herbs is a very good idea. Even if you don't ever want to practice like giving things to anyone else, you know, we all have such like unique sensitivities. Um, it's just something to know about yourself. So the magic y'all. Borage is a masculine plant uh, associated with the planet Jupiter, the element air, and the throat and the heart chakras. It is amazing for magic to summon courage or to improve your psychic powers, which is why it was chosen for this episode. Um, because, you know, I think courage and the improvement of psychic powers both go along with inspiration and opening the third eye. So you can carry the fresh flowers to make you like extra bold. Like if you have a job interview or you've got to like, give a speech or like do something that you're nervous about, you know, put a couple of the flowers in your pocket. Or if you're a fancy boy or a fancy lady, put one in a buttonhole, you know, be Ooh. real cute with it. Um, the dried flowers can also be added to incense blends, which you can use during spell work. And I think it's, that's really a great general additive. Um, since you're really better able to tap into your magic when you're feeling like courageous, but also having your like third eye open, feeling a little bit more like, in connection with your intuition. Um, so whether or not the spell is like inspo specific, I think that, you know, if you've got some dried borage around, I think most of us that like making incense blends have some stuff that we kind of use in everything. And I think dried borage could be a really good one to make it into your like always using it mix. It's like, um, it's like part of your house blend. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like a house blend. Um, I've also seen a lot of suggestions for empaths to use this because it can help ease your anxiety and remove excess worry. Remember, we did talk about how it was used as an antidepressant. Um, and I know empaths have a lot of difficulties sometimes when, you know, they're picking up on lots of bad energy, especially during things like, you know, the entire year 2020, for example. Um, <laughs> when? I'm sorry, I don't remember. Right. She didn't happen. Um, you can also drink the tea, though, while you're studying magic or if you're working on a new spell to help you like get in touch with your intuition and retain the information. And so I just got recently, and I don't think I've sent you a picture, but I need to send one. It's this really cute, um, it's called the Practical Witches Spell Deck, and it's 100 Spells for Love, Happiness, and Success. And it's a little like literally like a card deck with a bunch of spells and then there's this cute little like book that goes with it 
It was designed by Amanda Richmond, illustrated by Mara Penny, and then written by Caridwin Greenleaf. Um, so that's the plug for it. But I, <laughs> I've like made a little like riff on one of the spells in there. So you're going to start by steeping fresh borage flowers in boiling water. Um, I would pick a number for the flowers that's magically significant to you. So Nick, I would tell you to do like a multiple of three, you know, something right, like right, that. Right. Yeah. Three, three is always my number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you could even do like nine cause that's like three squared. So that's like mm-hmm. extra three. Oh, I, I use, I use nine all the time as, yeah. like, as like a backup lucky number. I feel like it's, it's, a very logical extension of three. Uh-huh. Um, so once you've done this, you're going to dip your hands in the water. Once it's cool, y'all, please don't dip your hands in boiling water. Um, <laughs> dip your hands in the cooled water, and then you're going to take that and touch the center of your forehead where the third eye lives. And then th- you're going to say this aloud. Um, Ishtar, Athena, Diana, Astarte, fill me with your presence. This night, I am whole. I am at peace. With each breath you do inspire, so mote it be. So it's a good little like spell to sort of like get the inspiration flowing and to open your third eye. So this could even be something you do before you move into other more intensive spell work, because this is like a pretty easy lifting sort of ritual. This could, I think, easily be like the opening to a larger like ritual magic session. Um, I know, and I do like that. Well, it's kind of like I was saying with with mine, it's like come combination spells, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, totally. Um, so as always, I have used a few sources for this. Um, I used the spruce.com, uh, the herbal Marie podcast, uh, herbclass.com, herbally.com, Green Witchcraft by Paige Vanderbeck and Cunningham's Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs, um, plus my Practical Witches spell deck, which again, it's super precious. So, you know, if you're if you're the type of person like me that collects random witchy shit that you find, um, this is like really cute and also I think would be a good gift for a witchy person in your life. I also like that on the back there's like a not intended for children warning. Um, not sure why, but I think it's funny. Um, <laughs> it's not intended for children. Uh, exactly. And I am a, I'm not a child. So I think ergo intended for me. Uh, so yeah. So for the QWP today, <laughs> this one, oh, y'all. Shannon, Shannon, Shannon's after these people. Y'all, I am, I am after these people. So <laughs> one of my biggest pet peeves, and I know we've mentioned it on here before, is weird places where like the alt-right and the new age QAnon conspiracy shit all overlaps, right? And this is kind of like one that goes back before Q was a thing, but was still very much of that vibe and I see it pop up again in new age circles like periodically and even on a podcast that I listened to um on an early episode when they were talking about the third eye they talked about this issue and so I felt like I needed to address it um the thing that these people are saying y'all is that fluoride that's in the water calcifies the pineal gland which in turn clouds the third eye and dampens psychic abilities the idea in a nutshell 
that they put forth is that governments have put fluoride in our water supply to basically negatively affect our populations for their own financial gains. So in this sense, like fluoride is actually a strong tranquilizer in disguise and the U.S. wants their citizens to be zombies. And so like the Kellogg's, Nestle, Crest and all these food companies known as the fluoride mafia shit you not, uh, are all in on it. And the fluoride dumping is secretly wrapped up in Illuminati interests. So. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there. There's so much to unpack here. There's um, so much to unpack here. So, uh. I know. So y'all, fluoride was introduced into the drinking water, into drinking water in the 1940s after scientists noticed that there were fewer cavity occurrences in areas with higher levels of fluoride in the drinking waters. And um, since the 1950s, there's been legitimately like relentless debate over whether or not there's any real reason to do this. Um, Early conspiracy theorists, because it was the 1950s and the Red Scare, declared that it was a communist plot to weaken American public health. This is like a a major plot of Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, it's... (sighs) It has been on the mind forever. Uh, The Tangled Conspiracy, though, like this gets even darker when you get onto the Reddit threads and you see people saying things like, Hitler used fluoride first and they got it from the Nazis, Illuminati scum. Uh, The the thing that people like pass around as fact is that um, allegedly Hitler gave people in concentration camps fluoride water to keep them docile so they couldn't resist Nazi power. Uh, And that's one that you'll see all the time in the anti-fluoridation brigade. Uh, And then people will also say that this was repeated in Russian gulags. And I I do need to say, y'all, here on this podcast there is not a trace of a credible living source on Nazi history that supports this theory that fluoridated water was a tool of the Third Reich. Um, So go on YouTube. You'll find plenty of people sharing knowledge of the spiritual dangers of fluoride and how to reverse the effects of a calcified pineal gland. Uh, Some people will also say that you can't. It's too late. And we've all been fucked over forever and ever. Amen. Um, But of course, the things they'll suggest is like stop drinking tap water, switch to fluoride free toothpaste, get a shower filter, stop eating meat because like obviously the animals have been drinking the fluoridated water. And then, of course, a favorite of the new age community, you need to detox. Uh, so like most like good conspiracies, there's like a hint of truth here, right? So in the 1990s, a British scientist named Jennifer Luke discovered that by old age, the pineal gland contains about the same amount of fluoride as teeth. And we do know that the calcification of pineal gland gets worse, worse with age and can occur in children as young as two. Um, this is also the gland in the brain that maintains the body's like sleep wake cycle. It regulates the onset of puberty in females and it helps protect the body from cell damage. Um, and there was a huge review on fluoride toxicity published in the National Research Council in 2006. And they did report like a range of negative side effects from fluoride, inc- including like decreased melatonin production, other effects on normal pineal function, which in turn could contribute to a variety of effects in humans. And there have been some studies that report a weak link between fluoride and bone cancers. But, you know, these studies haven't been able to provide a substantial enough link to lead to any legislative changes or recommendations from the scientific community. And I I do just want to say that, like, this isn't something that there's, like, someone behind the scenes making a shit ton of money on. Like, there's no big fluoride that's, like, making a bunch of money because we fluoridate our water. Um, 
you know, we've done population studies. Scientists have done a lot of these looking at historical data, and they haven't found sufficient evidence to link fluoridated water to increased cancer occurrences, which is one that gets thrown around a lot. Um, but, you know, in part due to controversy around fluoridated water, more than 300 communities in North America have voted to end fluoridation programs over the past 20 years, um, according to the anti-fluoride activist group Fluoride Action Network. So today, about 66% of Americans, or two-thirds, and about 39% of Canadians have access to fluoridated water. However, the thing that I find most compelling about all of these like different parts of the argument is um, in 2007, Newfield Council on Bioethics report um, reached the conclusion that the benefit to risk ratio on water fluoridation is unclear due to lack of good evidence and that alternatives to water fluoridation exist and that the role of consent gets priority when there are potential harms there. Um, and I think that is like really the most important thing. There's been like a sea of change in attitudes towards water fluoridation. And like 10 years ago, uh, New York University found that tooth decay in children um, across Europe has fallen regardless of whether or not there was fluoride in the water. The countries showing the biggest decrease in uh, tooth decay in kids were Sweden, the Netherlands, Finland, and Denmark. They don't fluoridate their water supplies. Um, and there have been incidents of professors who do research on the potential dangers of fluoride being harassed. And, and that is, of course, like a huge concern. So moral of the story, I tend to agree with this conclusion that the Newfield Council on Bioethics reached, where I do think that consent should be prioritized when there are potential harms. So I am all for ending water fluoridation programs for, you know, plenty of reasons. But I do think even though fluoride might ultimately be removed from water due to, you know, all of these factors, uh, science, you know, doesn't always get it right the first time. I know they also used to recommend cigarettes, but they were making money on that on the back end. Big fluoride's not paying them. But again... The most important thing here, y'all, is this isn't like some massive conspiracy from the era of the Nazis to like make the population pliable and less psychic. Like <laughs> it's it's funny because it's like the Nazis were obsessed with making people more psychic. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just the thing that really like makes all of us look stupid. And I'm not here for us to look stupid because like magic and science have so much in common. Like Lots of people say, you know, it's like magic is just like science that we don't have a microscope for yet, because so much of stuff that we do in magical practices eventually goes on to be scientifically proven. So it'd be real cool if we would stop pretending like science is always the enemy. And I'm 100% here for everybody having like healthy skepticism towards the government making big decisions for you. Um, but again, there's a difference between having healthy skepticism and then also going down the QAnon rabbit trail of thinking the Nazis did this first. So uh, my sources for this were Time Magazine, DiscoveryMagazine.com, Vice.com, uh, and AmericanCancerSociety.com. I mean, so. honestly, I, I do. Uh, could the online conspiracy theorists are so wacky. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, what is like that QAnon shaman guy, though? It's like there is that where they like touch. Yeah, it's like there's it's like they're just like ugh. barely touching hands, but like, you know, like even especially online, it's like, no, no, I don't I don't yeah, want no. to be I don't want to be like one degree of separation from you, even if it is by via the Internet. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah. Can we not? So <laughs> we're at the bitter end. 
and oh my goodness. I'm doing the tarot scope or, you know, because it's me, the green witch oracle scope for the week. Uh, and this message is for our dear Pisces babies, uh, which love you. Also always feels kind of like it's for me when Pisces comes up because I do have such a strong connection to my moon placement. Um, so the marigold is all about positivity. And the quote at the beginning of this entry is really cute. Um, it's by Luther Burbank. And he says, uh, flowers always make people better, happier, and more helpful. They are sunshine, food, and medicine to the soul, which ain't it the truth. So the message here, my dear fishies, uh, a better understanding is indicated. And a reason to be more optimistic about outcomes and the roads to get there. So there are lots of opportunities coming up for, you know, nurturing encounters and kind of a general aura of happiness is all around you right now. And marigolds really help us focus on like the positive aspects of even like difficult events. And this could also be a sign for you that your inner child might need to come out for a play um, so be sure, you know, you're taking creative invitations, you're taking the opportunities to like, play with things, get creative. And I didn't cheat. I just drew this uh, while we were doing an episode about inspiration. Um, it is also just a bit of a warning against, you know, be, be wary in situations where you maybe don't have all the facts or you have emotional blockages, you know, don't, don't respond in an immature childlike way. Be wary of that. But do let your do let your inner child come out to play. And the suggested spell for this is um, it's this twig square will pull in positive energy for your space. So you're going to sandwich one teaspoon of marigold petals between two small pieces of translucent cloth and frame it with four twigs that were found in the sun. Sew through the cloth with natural thread, binding all sides closed onto the twigs. Hang in the area you would like to uh, attract positivity into. And I think this could also be a great thing to maybe like hang in wherever you do your uh, creative work. I, so. I love, I literally love that so much. Right. I like, I like that you have to find them in the sun. Yes, I, I do like that. I like that they're specifically like you need to find ones that have been out in the sun because those are, that's a mood. It's a mood. That's a mood. Yeah, yeah, well, also, yeah. Also, I feel like it's sli slightly harder to find a stick out in the sun because it would probably be under a tree and therefore in the shade. Yeah, you got to work for it. And you that's, again, <laughs> magic is work, y'all. It's not it all really just is. pretty shit. <laughs> but no, so that was such a fun episode to make. I hope everyone liked it. Um, no, but okay, so what is it? At once and Franz pod at Gmail, send us a little email. Yeah. Uh, at Wands and Fronds Pod on Instagram. You're obviously listening to us. So, you know, give us a like, give us a rating, give us a download. Subscribe. While you're at it. You know. Subscribe. You know, we do love all of that kind of thing. If you're part um, of our um, group of new uh, Australian listeners, we've been getting a lot of Australian downloads um, recently. Uh, good. Good day. Good day. We'd love to hear from you. Um, also, hi, Japan. There are still a lot of you, and none of you have reached out, and we want to know who you are. Um, okay. Also, to everyone in Japan, I'm going to Japan next year in March, so maybe yeah. we can meet up if you if you hit us up on the Instagram. We can make plans. Maybe we can meet up for tea. I don't know. Yeah. But you guys are the best. We love you. Um, so, Nicholas... To all of the witch bitches out there. I, we say blessed be bitches.
Blessed be bitches. Goodbye. Bye now. Borage Roofie. <laughs>